You're listening to Red Nation Online. I will put myself and go back and review the year as a whole. Uh, we have so many notes and all of our everything that we've done over the course of the year has been documented. So the work for us is obviously we'll need to make some moves, we'll make some changes like all teams need. Monday, January 4th, is Eastside Stand-Up's Paul Marhew and I'm Ian Clark, and we're back now for our eighth season covering Toronto FC, back from a hiatus post-playoffs flameout and holiday hangover. We sit down with the vodka, soda, and bourbon, respectively, and discuss the state of the Reds, a brief look back on 2015, highlighted by MLS MVP Jovinko, then playoff appearance, gives way to the off-season discussion of players in and players out. Then, we wrap up by looking at Team President Bill Manning's goals and if they're within reach for 2016. All that and more on the next 50 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. You know the opening. The opening and I, is, is a you know reoccurring theme. I think with each side stand up through 2015, and now we're starting 2016 with an apology, uh, because the listeners will have probably thinking to themselves, "You really left us hanging." The yeah. game before the you know, last game of the season, we do a podcast all geared up for our first ever playoff game, and I got emails about it saying, oh, "What the hell happened?" Well, I'll just briefly tell you that, you know, basically what happened was as soon as that game happened, I worked for 30 days in a row, nine hours, 10 hour days until the beginning of December. So that happened a few times through last year where I was just out of the, out, out of the loop completely. So yeah. I'm actually surprised that people wanted to relive that. They wanted you to <laughs> talk about it because that was a very unpleasant way to end the season. Yeah. It was probably just the angry fans who know right. they'll get that dose. <laughs> of a good level of being pissed off, highly critical, and whatever. That's what you'll find on this podcast. <laughs> You're not definitely putting on the soft gloves or the pillow gloves when we're talking Toronto FC. So that's that was the background. And, uh, you know, I wanted to get something in before the end of the year, but it's, it's the start of 2016. You know, the idea of this one, we'll just do a short recap of some things that you and I thought about the season that was and looking ahead to 2016. I'm sure people who listen to this podcast may have got a decent dose of the team from the vocal minority because they've been really good at keeping it through week in, week out. Yep. But hopefully there's something a little bit different uh, on our take from the season so there's not too much uh, overlap between the two. Yep. And then what our thoughts are of what's been going on and heading into 2016. With that said, Paul, this podcast will start off with 2015. And I'm, I wanted, I don't want to go delve too deep into it. I kind of want it to be like, you know, that quick year in review, our thoughts on that, and then looking ahead to next year. But I think the two things, there's sort of two things when I think of 2015 uh, at the highest level of this club without going too crazy is, of course, mm. uh, Jovinko, MLS, MVP, yeah. and Toronto FC, first ever playoffs. And us dissecting those two things. Certainly the playoffs at the start of the season, everybody kind of, you know, said that's the minimum. We got to at least get there, right? Um, Javenko, he was just out of the blue. Like, nobody expected. Like, maybe towards, like, you know, a few months into the season, people started to think, you know, we have something special here. But before that, he, he like, we just thought he'd probably be a good player, 
right? And uh, so he was a, re a revelation, just amazing. Um, you know, uh, you know, he he was probably the best thing about the season, like even better than the playoffs to me, because we got to the playoffs and it was kind of a disappointment. You know, the way we actually played that game and. So if you were to ask me what the two special moments were, I'd say playoffs or Javinko, and I'd say Javinko is probably the more important. Of the okay, two. then let's let's break those let's break those up. Let's talk about it quickly Jovinko specifically, and you know, re just circling back on what you were saying and what people expected from him, and I think uh, those who knew him from Syria and a few conversations that we had in the podcast at the start of the year, I think the expectation was maybe a guy that's going to get you ten goals, ten assists. Yeah. In that realm, right? And not, I mean, he exceeded that far and above. I mean, oh, for yeah. a guy to come into the league and score 22 goals and add, what was it, 14 plus 15 assists, 15 assists uh, and, and I'll pretty much be uh, a leader in both of those categories is is just off the charts. Well, that's what I mean. You couldn't expect that. Like, no one would have asked for that. Yeah. Right? And I think, I think from the last eight years of this team, especially from us being well, home and away supporters, but specifically season ticket holders, I feel like this was the first season where I knew going into the game, as long as he was on the field, I was at least getting my money's worth, Yeah, which was definitely not the case yeah. many years, especially many years in a row, maybe from 2010 to 2014. You know, I, there was times where I'd say, I feel like I'm watching conference level right. football. Like right. That's how bad it is. But, you know, the specific question I'll kick to you and of course, for the, the listener, maybe to think about as well is, you know, at what point can you think back to a game specifically that you that it just clicked? Like I know I can think of mine now. I think of two points, but I've mentioned before. But there's definitely one game, uh, undoubtedly, that I said, "There's no question. Yeah, this guy's the best player in the league." Okay. Well, I wish I would have done some research before we recorded this, but I know at the beginning of the season there were a few games, like let's say about a half a dozen, where he wasn't really scoring or getting a lot of assists. I think he got a couple. But um, uh, I believe at home, we had a game where he scored two goals. And I, I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly who we were playing. But at that point, it was uh, pretty obvious to me that he was um, something special and uh, uh, certainly something we, we didn't have before. Um, so it was, I would say, like a first third of the season, I think like I knew that he could be something very nice you know, for the team. Yeah, I think for me, and I think I mentioned it in the last podcast we did or the one before, upon reflection, I think it was the New York away game, the 4-4 draw. Right. And I can remember leading up to that game, the talk was, there was starting to get chatter about him being, among around the league, of him being uh, MVP quality, but it was a matchup. David Villa, Villa yeah. against Jovinko, and a lot of people were saying it was Villa who was, who was the man. And I well, thought he had scored two that day, I think, right? Yep. But the the goals that Toronto scored on that day and the yeah. goals that Jovinko scored and set up, to yeah. me, was just, it was on another level. And didn't he miss a penalty that game? Yes. Yeah. But he scored those three goals in, I think it was nine minutes yeah. towards the end of the first half. And they, it wasn't just that he scored goals. It was an array. Yeah. Like it was all over the place, and then the the assist he set up. I mean, he dribbled through the whole team yeah. through the, uh, in their forty five down to the touchline and slid it across. I think it was Delgado who scored that goal. But I also think back. I know I've mentioned these before, but I'm just you know cementing it that there was that Dallas game away to Dallas where I think a lot of us had tuned out because yeah. the rain delay was so long. Yeah, you heard two. about it later, and I rewatched it. Like I saw that he scored two, whatever. And then when he started heating up, I watched that again. And mm -hmm. to me, I said, no way. 
that was the starting point yeah. that we kind of should have acknowledged as, I mean, the free kick that he scored with no run-up. Yeah. And then bef- I, think it was bef- I think that was the second goal. I think the first one was the one where he dribbled along the touchline and just did this cheeky little chip over the keeper where you got this, in- you got this indication. He's the kind of guy that puts the ball exactly where he wants it to go. Yeah, no, I think I think that's. I, I wish I could just rewind this tape and go back and change my answer because that those were great games. Yeah, and they're they're away too. I mean, like who does that away? Yeah, and then I think the fi- the finality maybe the put the the nail in the coffin was I think the New York Red Bulls game at home. Yeah, that was very special to be the the game that clinched us going into the playoffs. Yeah. You know, he'd been away in international duty. Uh, Michael Bradley wasn't playing. And they only came on the last, like, 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah, so after yeah. basically flying from Rome, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. that day he arrived, went on the field, and scored. Yeah. Our that, that's just really, you know, now that we're going to talk about the season and so, bring this so, down a notch. So what I said earlier about what's more important, making the playoffs or Dravinko, yeah. Dravinko was a part of making the playoffs. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. But then let's now let's just move on to quickly the playoffs and then looking back on 2015 and it do does well do we as i'm sure other people have had this discussion you know do we label 2015 a success well i think we have to um you know at the beginning of the season the bare minimum was making the playoffs and we did do that um you know yes uh there were two expansion teams in our conference um there was a team that moved over to the west that was very good you know a new playoff position Yes, yes, there was a new playoff position. You know, did did we do the bare minimum? Yes, we did. A success? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, this is like, if I'm going to be fair, because it's, uh, I could not be fair. I could be really uh, mean and, right. and, and say what comes up the top of my head, because I do think, you know, if you say success, you have to put an asterisk next to it because of the things we already mentioned. However, I am on record saying at the start of last season, 2015 can be an incredible building block for 2016. Uh, you know, you have a lot of pieces that if you build on it, 2016 can be the season that Toronto really breaks out as a contender. Right. My issue probably would have been that we could have been more of a contender last year. Um, there was a lot of glaring things that I think we all have been discussing for years and years that the club continues not to address. Mm. Um, I still think there's a lot of issues with the team in terms of just overall management top to bottom front to back that's still a concern for me um it's a success because of the things that we've already mentioned in terms of two expansion teams in our division and a new playoff position signing joe vinko right and i think there has to be you know toronto's track record of signing designated players who have that lasting power is not very good uh, and they finally went out and found one mm. and my question that you know do, <laughs> was it really because bespachenko wasn't wearing a tie Right. I really don't think so. Or um, Vanny with a pink shirt. Sure. Yeah. All those kind of silly things that we joke about, right? I just, I'm not uh, totally sure. And, or is it because we have, uh, you know, an open bank account? Right. Which is allows us to buy players for three times their value. Right, right. Well, we can only play, the old saying is that you play who you're in front of, right? So it's in terms of like the extra playoff spot and the two expansion teams and a team leaving our division, I mean... Every team in our conference had to deal with those things, and they had the opportunity mm-hmm. to deal with those things. So that's fair, you know. Um, making the playoffs, um, what were we? The sixth seed? Yes, were we last? Yeah. <laughs> you know, would uh, would supporters at the beginning of the season have accepted that um, as the bare minimum? I think I probably looked at 
like top four, yeah, top three, something like that. So even making the playoffs was kind of a disappointment for me. Yeah, uh, certainly the way we you know, actually played in the playoffs was a disappointment. Yep. So and you need to. I think one thing, bit of context we should add to that though. I mean, we were looking at how the season before we started the podcast how it finished, and there was a point after beating New York where if we had won our last two games, we would have been second place. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think we would have ended on 55 points. So we were in second or third. And they, you know, well, whole, they had where, a whole, did, where did Columbus finish? Because we lost to them in our second last game. If we had beat them, we'd be where Columbus was. Yeah, they would have been second, I think. Yeah. If I'm so not mistaken, Columbus we, finished second. Just that one game, we could have been second or third. Yeah. And that was a home game. Yeah. So that's something that I think you need to, you know, you can, you know, we're really breaking it down. You could talk it on different levels or, you know, you know, just a high, like a high level, or you can really break it down. I think if you really break it down, there's a lot of disappointments. I yes. think there's a lot of things that we, you have to honestly say, they could have and should have been a lot better and a lot of mistakes were made. Now, moving ahead though, mm. to this next segment where we're going to say, okay, well then let's look ahead. Let's look ahead to 2016 and how the club is looking to build off that. And obviously, I think most people look at Toronto C and say the most glaring uh, deficiency is defense. Starting between the sticks, and moving forward. And if we want to just quickly to go talk about, you know, players out, players in. Yeah. That's what we'll discuss now. And, uh, you know, both keepers weren't, weren't renewed. Jackson and Finley yeah. are the names. And it sounds like Luke Moore might be on his way out as well. Um, and I think Finley has an asterisk next to his name because there is still an opportunity, I think, to renegotiate with him. Yeah. Any comments, concerns, thoughts about the players that we've let go um, so far? Well, I, I guess... I, I think it's pretty obvious that we let in how many goals this year, like top of the league, like 58. 50, yeah. Like a lot. I think we were, I think we were 58. I think we almost scored as many as we let in, right. but we yes. scored an absurd <laughs> amount of goals. Right. We did. Uh, and Jovinko and did. does that happen for a second year in the row? Who knows? Right. So we got to fix the defense and um, I'm happy with the signings they've made. Um, uh, as far as, Keeper goes, um, I guess the keeper, if you improve the defense in front of him, the keeper gets better just without doing anything. So could we have kept either one of those and still made the defensive changes we did? And would our you know, uh, goals against be better? Probably, to be honest with you. I, I, I kind of like, um, I appreciate that they're trying to make um, goalkeeper position better. Um, but... Um, you know, as as long as that defensive line, that those four uh, get better, that I think that's the most important thing. And and you know, I I can't speak of you know what they're doing in the keeping position, but as long as those those new guys, the uh, Betashore and uh, uh, Moore come in, I think those are good moves. Yeah. Well, if I'll say I'll say this, these are my thoughts uh, on releasing Bendik and Kanopka, who I think have both been okay, but my stance has always been for me, I think they're both backups. Yeah. I think neither of those guys are like top half level starters in MLS. Yeah, but are, are they like that because our defense has been horrible? I would say no. Yeah. I would say you put those guys on any team. Maybe if you, I mean, yeah, sure, you drop a guy on LA Galaxy, he might look pretty good. But um, I don't think, I don't think either of those guys are, are winning games. Right. Right. They're getting by adequately. And I think Toronto has an opportunity to bring in a, goal, a keeper that maybe can make a difference. Mm. Um, that's something I think in the league, uh, you see some teams like Vancouver, for example, is a, is a big one. 
Um, you know, Kansas City when they had Jimmy Nielsen, he did really well. He was a key, like a key player for that team. So, yeah. and it's not necessarily the trend in MLS. I think a lot we used a lot to see is just like these American collegiate keepers who are, you know, they're athletic, pretty good shot stoppers, technically not very good, and they manage to teams manage to get by. I mean, the LA Galaxy won an MLS Cup with Josh Sanders in goal. Right. right? I, I guess that's what I wonder. Like, you know, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Donovan Ricketts, right. I mean, he was like a League One, League Two level keeper in England. Yeah, He wasn't a top level keeper, and he managed to be pretty good in this league. Yeah, But I see an opportunity for Toronto to... Do you I, think the opportunity is to sign somebody or to bring somebody up? Both. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it really is time. Quillen Roberts. I honestly thought Quillen Roberts could have been getting minutes when we had Freddie Hall, right? <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding? Like, I remember there was a, it was a, I don't know if it was a Champions League game or a league game. And there was something where Mariner was talking some shit out of his ass about, you know, Quillen Roberts, is, he's just not ready, or there's players that aren't ready, or something like that. And I was like, he already played in a World Cup. And yeah, said, and you know, scored a goal. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, really? Like, Freddie Hall is that much better? Right. You're going you're gonna to tell us that. Like, why not? Why not throw him in there and see? You're like, the team's already shit. We're done. Sink yeah. or swim. So he's been around for that many years since then. I think it's like, look, either bring him through or cut him loose. Yeah. One or the other. And this offseason, he was uh, actually training. So, I mean, maybe they got some something in mind yeah. for him. I think it's time. Yeah. I, would, I would bring in, like, your 30-plus aged keeper for that has, like, a couple years left in the tank. Maybe guide him through. That guy retires, Roberts comes up. Yeah. That's what I'd like to see. And I'd like to see Roberts starting actually playing games, like whether it's cup games or, you know, the, those tricky, in quote, meaningless league games, maybe mm-hmm. around international dates and stuff like that. I think that's what that's Over it's time for them. Like, you're... Roberts over Bono? Yeah. 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 I'm I know that I've in, in Aaron Nielsen I've both talked about the, the things about Bono and whatnot, but um have only followed TFC very minimally, I would say, this year. Like watched a few games. He didn't you know, he didn't really stake his claim. Now, granted, TFC two are horrible. Right. So whether that has something to do with it, but maybe let's just say that's that second spot is up for grabs. Yeah. Um and I wouldn't be adverse to Bono getting a second chance to prove himself. But I think, but he sure certainly hasn't like put himself at the top of the heap. No, yeah. And as a Canadian, I like I think I'd want to see Roberts sure. get his shot. Um, and then quickly, you know, Jackson and Finley, they're players that have been discussed, you know, ad nauseum through the year in terms of how much money they make and how effective they are on the pitch. Yeah. Um, and I think down the stretch of the season, the discussion was legitimate that why are we starting Finley instead of Delgado when it's anyone who had two eyes could see this team was performing better with Delgado on the pitch yeah. than with Finley. Finley is just a black hole to me. Right. He get the ball. You knew that wasn't out wide. You knew that ball wasn't getting crossed in. Yeah. You knew that ball wasn't getting past to where it needed to be. And for the money he was making, it just it just seemed like something that was like, oh, he's experienced and I've worked with him, so I have to let him play. You think it's reputation more than anything else with Finley? Yeah, I, thought, I think it was. Yeah. Or just, you know, the relationships. Something yeah. like that, where it was like, that was the only thing that was keeping him in that starting 11 to me. Right. Um, definitely not his ability or right. his performances. Um, but on further detail of the ins, the players coming in, this is now another big bit of discussion. Um, and, I, and I marked down as in uh, Justin Morrow. Right. Which I think is important. I think, I think at the start of the year, it's hard to isolate him as a key player just because of other ones doing so well, especially when Jovinko broke out. But I really thought, the start of 2015, he was amazing. He was steady. We knew he was like a kind of an MLS veteran and we do fine, but he really was like a rock. Yeah. And I think that he suffered through a poor 
off-season management of the defense right. that we didn't answer or solve the problems in terms of center backs and right back. And he had to move around all over the place. Yeah. I think that affected him, us looking at the very end of the season, seeing how, how good he is. I would like to see him play left back all season long this yeah. year and not left back, center back, and right back. And now that at we the have, expense of, of uh, Canadian international. Ashton Morgan. Yeah. yeah, that's a tough one, right? Um, no, I don't like to say that, obviously, but it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, we know that Justin Morrow is a better defender. Yeah. Defender than uh, Ashton Morgan. And Ashton Morgan is in and out of confidence and in and out of form. When he's in form, I think he's a great... He looked great. He's a great wing back, right? Like, he is a great attacking threat down the wing, great on the overlap. Yeah. But defending, still question marks around it, but... Right. You know, I I thought last year when we had Morgan on left back and Morrow on the right back, I wasn't complaining. Yeah. And I didn't see things that were, like, massive red flags Mm. um, of that. But... You know, we also signed Betashore, right? Which is the is the San Jose tandem, I think. So that's of note. We signed Drew Moore as a center back. I don't think he's the answer. I don't think he's the guy that's like no, but we're better though, right? <laughs> we are better, and and Moore can play right back as well. Yeah. So there is now flexibility on the back line in terms of moving players around and them not being out of position per se. For me, I still think I'm. I don't like Perky. I still think they need to cut loose a lot of their center backs and find that true anchor mm. that true and build like a real spine. Do you think Moore is the guy that could work with Perky on the back line? No, no, no. I think Perky is a liability. Yeah. I, I think he's a liability in terms of getting cards. I think he's a liability in terms of uh, scoring on goals, yeah. uh, turning the ball over uh, misplays. I think he's good for one or two a game, to be honest. And I also think that, uh, you know, Aaron Nielsen has a good argument saying, you know, maybe a year, and he comes back and he's got a handle on this league. However, I think there's also precedent of a quality level of player that's able to walk right into MLS and in, in, like Simon in Montreal right. yeah. uh, is a good example of that. Or Nesta in yeah. Montreal. I mean, those guys just walked in and the team was immediately better with them right away. Right. And I think that's the kind of player we should be looking for. And I think Simon in Montreal is a great example of that you don't need to sign a top level Serie A player. You could sign a solid, experienced, uh, you know, Belgian uh, Jupiler Pro League right. center back, right? Like, you just have to do your homework. But, but was he supposed to be that guy? Or was Caldwell supposed to be that guy during the season? Right. He retired. Yeah. You know, and kind of left things up in the air. Well, and I think, but I think, though, if we are honest about watching Caldwell in 2014, that when he came back from that injury, he was not the same player. Sure. At the end of 2013 and the start of 2014, and then definitely through the beginning of 2015, I think you could see after that Perkey Caldwell partnership, although experienced, slow, easily caught out. And I think you saw that in the early games of the season. Right. That teams would just if if they got the ball in their half, they were just going to lock. They were just going to send it down and have their players who are pacey latch onto it. And we saw that in Dallas when um, Castillo scored that goal. Remember Haglin got completely scorched yep. because he has no pace uh, in open field. I think the I think the jury been out really early on that this is how you can beat Toronto FC. Their defenders are slow, yeah. except for at that point it would have been Moro who had a bit of pace. Right. The whole other side, <laughs> center backs and over to the right side, Toronto was just hurting. So who is uh, third choice in our center defense? Well, this is my my dream. My idea would be that you sign yourself. Let's say let's say let's say we, we put we, our arm around Jovinko and we're like, come on, buddy, just. 
here's here's a phone number, free long distance. <laughs> Call anyone you played with on Parma, Juventus. They're not happy there. Bring them over here. Right. Um, I have no problem with that partnership with Moore, but what I would like to see is that partnership more cycling in a player like a Skylar Thomas or a Simonon, working working out the the gaps in the years and bringing along some of these young center backs. Right. I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, and what I think you can get away with, if you have that anchor, you can put the young guy next to him, like we saw with Caldwell and Henry. When they were a partnership, Henry's game improved dramatically from the start of the year when he didn't have yep. Caldwell next to him to when he did. And I think that made a huge difference, that he had a guy next to him that, A, he trusted, mm-hmm. um, and B, that was probably lending his experience and sort of guiding him through the game. Right. I think guys like Skylar Thomas and uh, Simonon, for example, could really benefit from that. And I think that's what the team should be looking at. Yeah. The last signing, of course, that's worth noting is none other than Canadian international Will Johnson. Will Johnson. And it's, you know, you can't discuss that. And I hope, like I said, I hope we're not doing too much overlap and discussions that have already occurred. But there is a bit of some huge pros and there are some cons about that signing and, and what we think of it. Well, any any Canadian national team fan is going to appreciate Will Johnson. You yeah. know, like he, what he brings to the table is grit. He brings, uh, um, I mean. Professionalism and leadership. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's he's not going to attack. He can attack, but he's really that guy that can kind of like be that hard-nosed players, player in the midfield. Yep. And, um, you know, maybe give Canada something, uh, sorry, uh, give TFC something that it doesn't have right now. Yeah. Well, it will get Michael Bradley off of set pieces, yeah. which I think he's terrible at. Yeah. He has no like he has no business taking corners <laughs> and taking free kicks whatsoever. I, I think he's been successful in a preseason game, but <laughs> never in a league game. Oh, he's it's awful. It's it's hard to watch. I got to be honest. When he lines up there in the corner, I'm just like, why? Why is why is Jovinko at five foot nothing right out on the field not taking a corner and, and Michael Bradley not in the mix? Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I only I think there's kind of like two things, a couple of things that I'll throw in about Will Johnson, and you know, it's for me with Toronto FC, there's a bit of a curse of the Canadian national team player coming to our team, and I f- do find that Toronto FC supporters are not necessarily Canadian national team supporters, right? And I and I I think you see that is that the people who follow Canada really closely and sort of have tracked careers of our players know what to expect, know their background, whatever. And I sometimes feel that when you're in the stands and you're around people who you know are only going to see games and they watch those guys have a bad game, right? they automatically get labeled as shit. So I'm always worried about that for when players come here. When they say things like, oh, I hope David Egger signs for Toronto FC. I'm like, no, I don't. Yeah, I hope he doesn't. You know, I hope Ian Hume comes to Toronto FC. I don't. I hope he doesn't because I think that there's such scrutiny, I think, for a lot of the players. The other thing, of course, is that there is something about the signing. And you know, you said, you know, when you have an opportunity to sign a good player, you sign it. But I also feel like Toronto's always been a team that isn't addressing the needs, the most pressing needs first. Yeah. And I don't think another defensive midfielder was our most pressing need. And there is a bit of a red flag when you see that you sign a player. Two things is that, yes, he's that comfortable choice because we have a real Salt Lake background. And then also he's Michael Bradley. He's one of his tightest buddies. Yeah. So there is something that is, that's, I'm a little bit wary about when you're building cliques of an Altador and Bradley and a Bradley and Johnson. And like we've seen in the past, there's been cliques of Canadians and, and Americans. And Finley. Yeah. yeah. Um, and stuff like that, that is concerning where you wonder how that's going to, if everything's going to, there's going to be harmony yeah. in the locker room. But also, how do you fit in Shea Bradley 
and Johnson. Yeah, that's that's the tough part. I mean, um, there's no doubt it's a loaded signing. There are many things to think about beyond just Johnson as a player. Uh, his relationship with uh, the players on the team, his Canadian national team relationship. Um, you know, d- did we need him as a player? I don't. He's not a destroyer. He's not a DM. Um, you know, maybe that was more important than uh, than getting him. But you know, it's hard to say. It really boils down to what are the coaches going to do with him, you know, and uh, who's going to be moved around. Um, Sheru, I love him. I think he's great, uh, but he's 34. You know, he's lost a step, um, probably shouldn't be playing for 90. Um, you know, does Johnson fit into that role? Can he? I don't know. Um, I guess it depends on what, what uh, the management has in mind. Yep. Well, here's, what, here's one thing I'll be, say about Sheru, because I've seen some chatter in terms of, and I, f- I find, I know you, I mean, you said it, I'm not calling you out on it, but I don't, <laughs> I don't like that comment when people say, oh, he's 34, he's lost a step. Right. Show that to me. Yeah. Can you, can you like tangibly point things out to me from the beginning of season to the end that you, that, I mean, has any of us watched Sheru through his entire career to say that he's lost a step right but, now? But can, can you say that if you split the season in half? Can you say that Sheru was just as good in the second half as he was in the first half? I would I would say he was not quite as good in the second half. However, there were still moments of just brilliance, and like threading he, balls through the midfield. He's a great player for sure. And my argument will be: is he is he a ninety player? I think he still can be. Yeah. And my and the, here's I'll throw two things out here. You look at a guy with that kind of experience, where he's coming from in Liga, playing with Marseille for so long. You know, more experience in one foot than some of our players have head to toe. Yeah, it's fair. And you look at that age, now let's, and you look at the experience and how good he is technically, whatever. You look at um, Guillermo Schlato, was successful in this league until he was about 37. Mm. Blanco was pretty good in this league until I think he was 36 or 37. I think we can still squeeze one really good year out of him. No, I agree. That's what I I'm agree. saying. Yeah. I'm saying don't write a guy off at 34 or even 35 because the precedent has been set in this league that a midfielder can last until their mid to late 30s and still be effective. Yeah. These sort of like, special midfielders and I think Shavery falls in that category personally. Yeah. But I do like that in terms of Will Johnson. You know, he's so if you have Shavery play out one year and we tinker around with this like a rotation or getting them all in, Shavery retires after next year, Johnson slots right in. Right, right. I no, like the sounds of that. No, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, I didn't mean to um paint Shavery as someone who's washed up. He's certainly Well you not. really pissed me off, I gotta tell you that right now. <laughs> I think I think he's great, and and listen, like I know there's a lot of chatter. You know, get rid of Sheru, get that that money off the books. I really wouldn't want that to happen. I think he's a great player, and I think he offers a lot, and uh, I would like him to stay. And if he only plays 45 versus 90, I think that would be really valuable. Yeah, or plays off games, right? Yeah. Like he did, he doesn't have to play 34 games, but yeah, yeah. I think he bring definitely brings something to the table. Absolutely, 100. Um, sort of, and on that note. Uh, if we look, you know, further ahead um, to the season as a whole, and we've kind of talked about some holes and whatnot, but the one thing that I kind of wanted to use as the framework for the last section that we're going to talk about here was that interview with Manning at the end of the season, where he kind of outlined what he was expecting from at the end of, like, you know, what la- end of last season meant and looking ahead to 2016. You know, some of the key things that he threw out there was, of course, improving the defense, obviously, um, trying to aim for 45 goals against. He even even said improving the attack, yeah, which was an interesting bit of discussion. And then he also mentioned, you know, the questions surrounding do we keep Vanny? 
you know, and he sort of had the idea that the team has improved every year up until this year. So as a broad discussion, you know, what are our thoughts on that? What have, what do we think the goals for 2016 should be Yeah, um, with those points in mind? I don't know exactly how close he's going to like adhere to those statements, but I'm glad he made them. You know, I think it's good that he said that after seven, eight games on the road to begin the season, we're going to have eight points. Um, I think it's good that, you know, our defense has to be better. And, you know, we've kind of seen that. Maybe he was part of that influence, you know, over the offseason, signing, you know, Betashore and more. Proof is in the pudding, right? We'll see what happens at, at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think if we look at these two points of discussion, and we've gone over the defense, so to speak, I think I think, both, I think we're expecting to hear about a keeper and possibly even a defender. And if both of those, if, if at least one of those aren't addressed, I'll be disappointed. But I think we're expecting that. And I also, you know, you kind of hear discussions where people are saying, it sounds like they're thinking one or the other. I really think it should be both. And I don't see why it can't be both. Another defender? Well, I'm saying like, I, you've, I'm on record now saying, I think we need to sign that marquee center back. Yeah. I don't think we have him right now. And I think we need to sign a marquee keeper. Right. Now, by, by saying that, I'm not saying it has to be a DP quality. I just think the team really needs to do their due diligence. I think you can find, I think you find a center back, you know, on relegation-bound teams in Europe right? Um, or anywhere in South America or Central America if you do your due diligence. Um, but that's just something that's always been, for me, a major red flag for Toronto that I just don't think that they do it. Right. Especially for, like, shrewd signings. Obviously, we've seen when the, the checkbook is wide open, they can do whatever they want, but sure. I, I think the mark of a you know really well run organization is that they can make those those sneaky signings for players. Well, in MLS, it's you know in the two hundred thousand dollar range, and you know global soccer, it's like a million dollar signing. If you had to choose one, the keeper or that marquee center back, what would you choose? I would do a center back. Yeah, yeah I think I would do a center back to be honest. And I, and obviously, there's a case for either or. Um, I mean, because you see some teams where they get that really good keeper in it and it does make a difference but i do think you've also seen instances like we mentioned before with like josh saunders or donovan ricketts those aren't world-class keepers yeah. and those were top level teams yeah um so but i mean if, if we're gonna if we're gonna you know I, as i criticize sometimes the rail saw like template that might be applied to toronto fc i mean nick romando is it was you could say the top level mls keeper and they went Probably out and, still had, is. and they had borchers and olave right. at one point as that that anchor on the back line, and that made all the difference. Yeah, yeah. Or a huge difference. Even Portland this year. I mean, they signed, uh, what was his name? The center back they signed? Oh, year. Ridgewell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was great. He really, like, shored things up back there. Yeah, so that's something to consider. And then when we talk about a better attack, mm. that's an interesting discussion as well. How because, do you get a better attack? Well, <laughs> because you cannot expect Jovinko to score 22 goals again, I think, this year. No, especially um, everyone's looking out for him this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, uh, my concern is we're, what we're going to see. I'm worried that there is, you know, the league tends to have, in obviously our Canadian eyes, a U.S. bias. And our team seemed to get the worst pick of the referees through the season. Right. Um, I'm concerned that with his name out this year, he's not going to get the same kind of calls that he got last year. He's going to get fouled. He might get frustrated. Or will he be protected? I don't know. And I think that's... You know, that might be something that is behind the scenes from the league, whether they say, we have some real superstars, we got to let them shine. Right. Or, is, is or do they say, of, uh, David Vila, 
Yeah. Uh, does you yeah. get those calls? Well, that's a thing. I always find that the league says our markets are LA and New York right. and Seattle. Right. Those are the teams we would like to see do the best. Thank you very much. Right. Um, those are t- those are the markets that garner the most money. Thank you very much. So I think they get the best referees and probably the best benefit of the doubt. That's my thought. However, you look at what's currently how we're currently set up, uh, especially when you have Michael Bradley thinking he's an attacking midfielder. You have Josie Altidore, which was an is an interesting discussion in terms of what his um, rate of return was. And the interesting thing in that in that article or that interview with Bill Manning was that he's you know they're saying Altidore has to be better, mm. and I think that's fair. Uh, as much as he had thirteen goals, I believe. You could hardly say that when you were watching out through on the pitch, like you're all, it's not like all eyes were on Jovinko. All eyes were not on Altador. No. Except I can think of a couple of games where I was like, wow, he looks really good. But more often than not, he was anonymous until the ball landed on his feet around the 18 yard box. And then he'd make something happen sometimes. That's, I think, is a concern. I think you want, if you're going to spend this money on a center forward, um, you know, you need that. You need that number nine style player who can play back to goal, front to goal, really do it all. I think that's what you're expecting with a DP level striker. Right, right. We we talked about like his production versus the number of games he played. I mean, he was scoring at the rate of like not one every two games, but a little bit less than that. Yeah. Um, so if you replace him with someone, what are you looking for? Interesting. Hurt, like I, I shake things up. Like I look at our setup differently. I mean, the first and most important thing is I don't see Michael Bradley as an attacking midfielder. Mm. I think it's it's a it's such a waste of his skill set. I think he's a terrible he's terrible at shooting on target. He's terrible around the eighteen yard box. Mm. You know, when I see him like working for space and teeing teeing something up around twenty yards out, it's off target. Right. And we we discuss this where it's like, what, what do you want from your attacking midfielder? And you compare when when Michael Bradley is going to shoot the ball from twenty yards out. Do you think there's going to be a chance of a goal? I don't. <laughs> when Federico Iguain is teeing up a ball around 20 yards out, yeah, I'm, I'm scared, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, you're worried. And that's the difference for me between what we have and, and what that position needs to be. So with that said, you know, I'm, I, don't, I don't think your center forward has to be a goal-scoring machine. I think he can, he can play back to goal and lay off the ball. And when you have a player like Jovinko... Right. That's fine. And I don't think, and that player doesn't need to be a six and a half million dollar signing. Could be a Camaro. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Right. Who's, I think he's in a four or five or something like that, or a low, an entry level DP, so to speak. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of players I think you can find that can play that role. It could be a Kenny Cooper yeah. or Will Bruin. Yeah. Right. That can still score you 10 goals, cost you normally on that amount of money, and will it'll play well off of that creative striker yeah so but i mean that's that is what it is um but you know, he's not going anywhere no he's not yeah but i i think i think that they will reassess this team probably after this year like really reassess in terms of like how effective bradley and altador are because the truth of the matter is you know we're talking about these guys all fitting in and the, and the, the key concern i think part of that statement is you remove jovinko from the equation this team is terrible yeah. and Michael Bradley's not scoring these goals, and Josie Altidore's not scoring those goals. Those guys are scoring those goals because Jovinko's in the mix. Right. So you take them out of the mix, and they're not. And, and the fact of the matter is, and it's a fact, that Toronto plays better without Bradley. 
It's un like it's undebate. You can't debate it. There's no discussion. You see it. I mean, watch a game. You watch yeah. the watch the game against the Rebels, the yeah. best team in the league. Yeah, we played without him, and we won. Yeah, right. So I mean, that's that's one example. But there's plenty through the season where Altidore was gone. There was a stretch early on the season when we beat Portland at home one 0 We beat San Jose at home, and we went on the road and beat DC United. Altidore was it was Luke Moore, right? Who was yeah. our striker in those games? Not Josie Altidore. Yeah, and I think that makes a statement too. To, to the fans and supporters. That's that, a very fair point because, I mean, there's some talk uh, right now that Luke Moore uh, possibly leaving. Yeah. Yeah. And personally, like, uh, circling back to the beginning, or what I ha- maybe haven't said clearly, but one thing about Toronto C is I would like to see a clearer roadmap from Academy to USL Pro to the first team and players getting their right opportunity. Right. Um, so when I think of, we've already mentioned center backs, I would like to see a striker get that opportunity behind Altidore. I think that's Hamilton? I don't know. I don't know if that's Hamilton um, because, to me, he's not come along as far as he has. I think mm-hmm. he's made a lot of missteps in his career, in his development, or the team has made a lot of missteps in his development. So I'm, con- I'm concerned for him. But I look at someone like a Jovinko and I think about uh, a Luca Uccello, who is coming up behind him, which is hilarious that you, Luca Uccello could have gone to Juventus <laughs> as a youth, like as a 14-year-old to get into their, their youth academy. And we bring in this guy who's also a small attacking midfielder. Right. I think it's, for me, like that's something that I've like had in the back of my head is lining up to see how that plays out. Right. Um, how we have this Italian-Canadian kid who plays that kind of same kind of, not that same style, but same position. Um, it could be something really cool right. to watch him grow into that position. But, you know, you look at a guy like um, Mobabuli, perhaps, you know, get him some minutes in there. I mean, as we've you think, seen... You think this season he might be able to step in? I don't see why you don't give him a shot. Yeah. But maybe you're right. It is a Jordan. Maybe Jordan Hamilton gets his crack to really make make his mark. But, I mean, he, he hasn't really... Yeah. Pardon me. He hasn't really stood up and said... Yeah, I guess I wonder, like, going back to, you know, uh, improving Toronto's attack, like, like where do, you, where do you kind of... How do you improve it? Like, you're getting rid of... You know Findlay and you know Delgado's not really getting a chance, and uh, you know the I don't see the youth getting a lot of chances. Yeah, it could team, just be so. the setup. It could just be our formation. Yeah, and whether that means um, you know one criticism I had of Jonathan Osorio last season, as much as I thought that he came along really nicely, mm. is I don't think he took his chances. I think I think he's I think he goes on the pitch and realizes he's number four or five in terms of. I'm, yeah, I'm the fourth I, guy, I totally fifth agree. guy that's yeah, allowed to take totally a shot. Yeah. So when I get the ball, my my role is to... I look for the, the other guy. I pass it to Jovinko, yeah. Altidore, Bradley. Yeah. Whereas I would, there was times where I thought he could have been a little more selfish. Yeah. Um, and he could have made... That's a mentality thing. I mean, like, he's got to change that. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, if I'm without thinking too deeply in it, like, honestly, I would rather see perhaps Osorio, Jovinko, and Altidore be the fulcrum of our attack rather than Bradley. I think if Bradley sits deeper, that allows us to be a much tougher defensive side. Is it possible for Bradley to sit deeper? Like if he wants to go forward, who's going to say no? Nobody. Yeah. Nobody says no to Michael Bradley. I think he's calling I think he's calling the shots. And I think that's one of the uh one of the issues when you have like a young rookie coach is that it's hard for them or hard for the players, you know, really to, I don't want to say take them seriously, but when you have a player like a Jovinko 
or an Altidore or Bradley who played on teams like Roma, right? who played on teams like uh, AZ Alkmaar, who played on teams like Juventus and have had some of the best coaches. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. There's no way that they're sitting there being like, oh, yeah, Greg Venny stacks up. Right? right, he stacks up with Luis Enrique. If I'm not mistaken, Enrique was the coach at Roma when Bradley was there. Like, there's just there's just no way. Right, right. It's ridiculous to think that. So, I can remember, and you can remember when like Torsten Frings was here and Aaron Vinter was coaching. Yeah. To me, I was seeing games where he was just like, "Fuck you, I I'm agree. doing what." Do you remember the game against Chicago Fire? There was a game against Chicago Fire where, where he where went Frings up. Frings started off as a sweeper. And by the end of the game, he was a striker, <laughs> right? Because yes. right? he just was like, fuck this, man. We need, and they, I think the end of the game, they said, like, what was that about? He's like, we needed to win. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit there and, and let the, this dimwit coach who has <laughs> doesn't know how to coach a team twiddle his thumbs and just, like, not right. call the play properly or set up the proper approach. So I guess we'll find out this year. Yes. I think, I think Vanny is definitely going to be highly scrutinized. Yeah. Um, looking at the, yeah, if we, if we, Kind of close this out. Vanny 2016, you know, has he bought more pink shirts? <laughs> well, I think, first of all, he's got to get past that opening road trip. Yeah. He's got to get those eight points. Um, if he's close, mm-hmm. maybe it's fine. But, uh, you know, then we got that break. Apparently, MLS has taken two weeks off in the summer. Oh, right, yeah. For the uh, Euros this Yeah, summer. something's happening. Only Olympics. Summer. Yeah. Olympics and Euros, so, okay. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I can't see... This team, I I can't see them waiting until July or August uh, without being in a good position. If they're not, I think a change happens. Yeah, if it's if it's if it's utterly disappointing by yeah. that point, for sure. However, I will say this is I expect them to give them the full season. Really? Yes. And I think with within my that would be like two and a half seasons. Yeah, that, we'd never do that. Well, yeah. But that's what I think. I think they're going to look at the year. I think we'll set up this offseason. Maybe we'll get that signing that I'm talking about, whether it's a keeper or a center back. And, uh, you know, the, if as long as they're in the mix, as long as they're not looking like Chivas, a Chivas USA type of team, right. they'll realize that, you know, we can turn it on at a certain point to kind of get in the back door. And if I would probably say if it looks like we're definitely out of the playoff picture, if we're out of the playoffs, for example, let's just say that by November, like it's set, then he'll be gone. There's no question about it. But I think they'll give him the season to get in that playoff position and finish where he finishes. And if we finish sixth again and flame out in the first round, he's gone. There's no right. question about it. I don't think we'll give him that much time. I really don't. I think I think that um, based on what Manning has said, if if – I, I'm even going to backtrack it. It's not late July. It's June. Really? If if he doesn't, like, if we're not in a good position by then, then I think he's probably done. Hmm. And I, I, I only say that because that would give us opportunities to maybe, you know, get that bounce and, you know, improve. Sure. And I mean, I need to throw in a few more qualifiers. Like, I'm, I haven't described, like, if they are looking just abysmal right. and just, like, holding on and, and this and that, and they're sort of lingering around where I say the die is cast. Anyone can see this team is not going to make it. Sure. I would probably be on board, but I would expect that if we're seeing some kind of inconsistency with great results and Joe Vinko is playing great and there's just, you know, key question marks here and there, I think they'll give him a chance to iron that out. Yeah. That's what I would say. Okay. But, you know, there's, there's times where it's like, I didn't need to see much more of Aaron Vinter. 
I didn't need to see any more of Paul Mariner, that's for sure. Right. right? There's coaches where you're just like, I didn't need to see any more of Ryan Nelson, that's for sure, too. Right. To say, like, guys, come on. This is there's nothing that's gonna make this team any better. This is a coaching problem, first and foremost. Right. So I Vanny is a weird one for me, where it's like it runs very hot. I wish we hired cold. Vanny like five years from now. I sure. think he'd be a very good I think he'd be I wouldn't I would never object to him yeah. staying on our academy. Yeah. And running the whole everything below Toronto FC, yeah. if he was the TFC two and below, and that, I, I guess that's part of the reason why I say that maybe you know he would be gone sooner than later is just that I, I don't think this market uh, is willing to wait anymore. No, which yeah. has been a consistent mistake. I think Toronto it has made. been it has been, but it's the reality, right? Yeah, but you know I think on that note, Paul, we've had a pretty good mark on this. I didn't think this conversation was go as long as. 45 yeah, to 50 a lot, minutes. Lots to talk about. Yeah. This team. And this is when we're in the middle of an off season, I guess you can. Yeah. Oh, just wait till the season starts. Yeah. Yeah. Like no a kidding. 10 hour pod. Yeah. So uh, let's leave it at that. And what maybe what I'll throw out there is that probably post MLS draft and into the preseason, we'll pull, we'll pull another one together. Yeah. I would imagine I could probably rope in Aaron Nielsen since he's that. I'm sure he has a lot to say. Yeah. And well, he's got the NCAA <laughs> kind of locked down in terms of. Yeah. Uh, players and, and youth development stuff on Prospect 11. So I'd like to get his input and insight on where the team is looking at from that perspective. So um, on that note, Paul, we can get you on Twitter at... Uh, Gray Paul, G-R-E-Y Paul. Yeah. Um, and uh, the uh, cartoon, Eastside Stand-Up, uh, it's kind of being published a little more infrequently in the offseason, but when the season starts, we'll be hopefully going for two or three weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. People can find you at Toronto FC as well. Uh, yeah, I do. I do some work. Toronto FC has got me doing the uh, Owen the Reds cartoon mm-hmm. uh, every Tuesday. So hopefully that uh, keeps going in the new year and we'll see what happens. Awesome. And of course, people can find me at Clark Arno or at Red Nation Online uh, on Twitter, both of those handles. And we're just plugging away, getting ready for the season. So uh, like I said, we'll probably try to get another one set up uh, in the next month or so. Post. Training camp three weeks. Yeah, MLS draft coming up, all that stuff. Yep. So January goes it goes by fast. Yeah. Um, so on that note, thank you a lot for listening. Thanks for sticking around, guys, uh, and getting redownloading this episode. Uh, any qu- comments, info, or have your say at RedNationOnline.ca. Uh, thanks again, and we'll catch you next time. We want you to get involved. Reach out to us on Twitter at Red Nation Online or by email at info or have your say at rednationonline.ca. Get in touch with us. Let us know how you thought the team did. Agree, disagree, it doesn't matter. Also, check out our other podcasts on Red Nation Online from The Black Hole, Ours is the Fury, The Footy Roundup, and our interview series. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. You are here.